And Andrew, how did the uh, PhD go? Oh, uh, do I have to call you doctor? <laughs> no, not yet, uh, but very close. Oh, I've been calling you doctor these last few days, and I, and I take it okay. all back. Well, I shouldn't have said anything then. Uh, yeah, so I, I passed my defense, <laughs> and it's just a question now of being able to get all the paperwork done. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey folks, before I introduce today's guest, uh, I want to say a big thank you to the show sponsor, Four Eyes Innovation. Um, we will actually cover power meters, which of course is the number one product from Four Eyes. In today's show, um, we'll speak about them tangentially, but they're very germane to the, the topic uh, at large. And um, as you've heard Andrew and myself uh, mention in the past, Four Eyes makes an excellent power meter product, uh, one that we both happen to use and enjoy. And uh, of course, as a listener to the show, you can also enjoy one of these excellent power meters with a 20% discount. So if you head over to our show notes, the discount's there. Just uh, pop on over to Four Eyes, and that discount applies to any of the factory install products on their website. On with the show. Joining us today is uh, a guest who is a listener of the show and reached out to us because he uh, he felt like he had something to contribute, and I, I certainly agree. And this is uh, Mark Graveline, who is a, a triathlete and an electrical engineer. Uh, spent a lot of his uh, time in the corporate world as a software tech exec, um, retired a few years back, and started playing around with uh, sport technology after retirement. And uh, his one of his claims to fame, anyway, was that he was one of the founding folks of Notio, uh, who you've heard mentioned several times on the show. Uh, and we, we had a couple of their engineers on the show probably about a year ago. Talking, of course, about their aerometer. So, Mark was one of the founders. Um, he transitioned out a couple years later in 2018, and uh, recently started another company that uh, that does aero testing and probably a little bit more. But uh, I'll, I'll let Mark talk about that. So, what uh, what we decided on uh, the, as far as the topic of this conversation was to have Mark take us through the history of uh, field testing, of aerodynamic field testing, kind of uh, his take on the state of the industry and the state of the technology as it exists currently and uh, where he sees it going in the future. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a uh... It's an honor. It's an all Canadian show. Uh, that's right. Yeah, it's true. We've been we've been heavy on the uh, the German content lately, but it's <laughs> especially this topic, and and we'll talk about it later. But if you look at the list of vendors making aerometers or involved in aero technology, whether it's uh, Nocio or Aerolab or Ghibli or Alpha Mantis or you know mm -hmm. uh, there's you know Canada seems a lot of CanCon right yeah yeah I I always attribute it to a lot of math during those very boring um, winter months when we can't get out cycling you know and then and then this <laughs> and this urge to actually test it when we get on the road and go nuts in April 
So um, we can't go cycling, so we think about cycling, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Though I, we'll talk about it a little later. I, I've actually found an alternative for testing aerometers other than using bikes. And, uh, <laughs> oh, fun! Yeah, discover the world of drones. So let's uh, let's begin uh, at uh, the place where you started to either experiment with or or use aero testing technology. And uh, if you want to go even further back and talk about some of the uh, some of the early uh, algorithms developed by some folks that allowed that to happen. Uh, I'll leave it up to you as far as the, um, uh, the chronology of this, since you know it better than I do. Okay. So, so maybe just, you know, really brief history. Um, I think you mentioned I, I was a triathlete or I am a triathlete, uh, mostly focused around uh, middle distance 70.3, um, mm-hmm. pretty average, uh, triathlete, um, you know, quickly realized that, if I'm going to do, if I'm going to get somewhat decent results, I'm going to have to do it smart because I'm not going to be able to entirely uh, um, uh, count on my my natural talents. Um, so I I actually retired from the world of software tech in 2013. Uh, so I had lots of time to train and play with things. Uh, was somewhat obsessed with aerodynamics. I found the whole. Uh, domain just intriguing you know went to a wind tunnel for the first time in 2013 um, did a lot of uh, road testing on my own uh, went to the velodrome in 2015 uh, in LA that didn't go too well um, the guys from Alpha Mantis were generous enough to retest me Milton in 2016 and that was absolutely incredible uh, that led to them inviting me to help test Lionel Sanders. Um, I don't know if you saw the movie uh, Chasing the Lion. Yep, definitely. I was actually uh, part of that when they were aero testing um, uh, Lionel for that. Uh, that relationship led to an introduction to Argon 18. Uh, and Argon 18 was, was considering getting into the, they, they wanted to get into the aero business. They beyond bikes, of course, a measurement of, uh, of aero. Uh, they weren't quite sure how. So uh, they invited me actually to, to join them and to, to kickstart a startup. And, uh, and that's how Nocio was, was born. So I was the founder and one of the initial um, uh, investors in Nocio. That was in April 2016 that that started. Um, probably makes sense at this point to 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 make a little disclaimer um i'm i'm no longer an employee of nocio um i i still have friends of course at nocio but i no longer have any uh, business or financial interests in them um okay so as we're talking you know i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna make comments such as well you know this is a challenge for aerometers and this is what some aerometers are doing well and this is what some are doing less well and i just want people to not directly associate that to 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 the nocio which i think is a great device but uh you know like any device it has its strength and its weaknesses so i I, everything i'm going to be saying i'm going to be saying about the market in general rather than specifically about nocio i hope that's okay got it yeah no of course yeah and that's really important to do because uh as the listeners know well we uh you know we don't (laughs) we we do our best not to take shots at anyone other than maybe garmin sometimes (laughs) they seem to take a lot of flack not not you know purely unintentionally from uh from our own experience and some of our some of our expert guests um but yeah i think it is important to be balanced and kind of uh you know not not have uh not have a, a biased opinion in the case yeah so 
you know, people often ask me, so, you know, especially the people that, that know little about aero testing, they, they go, well, what, what is, what are you looking for when you do aero testing? And, you know, the, the simple answer is you're looking for a number, i.e. a CDA. And I think that's a, an oversimplistic um, view. Um, but some of the things that I look for when, when I'm aero testing is, yes, I want a CDA, a coefficient of aerodynamic drag. And, and what I especially want is I want a precise number. Okay. Um, I mm-hmm. want I want to get a number when I'm aero testing. I do the test. I get a 0.28. I redo the test. I'm going to get something very, very, very closely to a 0.28. Okay, and one of the challenges that I saw early on in aero testing is, is I couldn't get, I couldn't get repeatability of my numbers. You know, I do a, I do a get a 0.28 with one helmet, and then I try another helmet. I get a 0.26, and I come back to the first helmet, and I get a 0.25, and I kind of go, okay, well, how can I tell what number is better than than another number? So, you know, when you're eva- when I'm evaluating um, different aero technologies, you know, the, the most important thing that I'm looking for is is precision. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I'm looking for, and and this has probably been the biggest limiter for for aero testing, is ease of use. So, you know, yes. how hard are these things to use? Um, how hard is it to find a venue and actually to do these things? You know, there, there's, you know, we're going to talk about protocols and how different things work. But, you know, some, some of these devices require you to have an out and back with no traffic, no wind, uh, as flat as possible, yada, 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 yada. And, and the minute anything yep. goes wrong, you, you lose the precision in your numbers and you can't tell A from B anymore. You know, so, so ease of use is, is extremely important in terms of selecting a venue. Ease of use, enabled, being able to get through the data. Uh, there's a great video that I can send you and put in the show notes of uh, Dan Bingham aero testing in, in, in England on an outdoor velodrome, you know, and, and Dan is the master of being able to take these streams and streams and streams of data from all over the place and put them together to come out with a number. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not everybody has Dan's experience and, and knowledge. So, you know, what, what I think is really important in aero testing is to be able to just go somewhere, press a button, ride, press a button, get a number, and, and be able to trust that number. And, um, you know, we definitely weren't there. You know, some would claim that we are there today. Um, others would claim that we will get there, but we're not quite there yet. We can, we can talk about that. I, I guess the ultimate dream would be a device where you could put it on while you're racing and be able to get a live CDA in any wind condition without doing out and back, without doing testing. But uh, that's, I mean, that's extremely, extremely difficult. So obviously the, the testing is critical uh, and, and coming up with these controlled conditions, because once you have all these external impacts, it's, it's just not practical to use for racing, unfortunately. But if, if that dream were realizable, then as you were riding, you could adjust your position. You could adjust your arms and see, oh, this makes a 0.002 difference or adjust your head position and find the, these little differences but sadly not there yet but uh but it does sound like we're getting closer i i agree i think we're getting closer and closer and closer um there's a couple of things first of all i do race with the device well i, sh- I shouldn't say i don't race half iron man with the device i do i do weekly time trials and i do race with the device for a couple of things um i do get very good wind information Okay, which which helps, Hmm. you know, it helps for pacing, for example, 
Um, ah, yeah. clever. Um, I, so I do know, you know, I do get a feel for, okay, um, you know, here I got to be really careful what I'm doing with my head. Oh, yeah, it's, it's windier than I thought. Um, uh, I do see my number. I know that if it's abnormally high, there might be something wrong and I will adjust it. Do I really trust whether it's telling me 0.262 or 0.271? No. You know, so so mm -hmm. I, I would say that right now during racing for me, it's more of an indication rather than a than a, than a hard measurement. Uh, but one of the reasons that I do race with it is to do post race analysis of what I did at different places. Nice. And 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 we talk about when we talk about the future. Um, another thing I do is is I look at the degradation of my CDA over time and I try to figure out why. Okay, so so. Uh, if a device just gives you a number for the 15K out and back, that's one thing. If you can actually see how it's broken up across the course, you can start saying, what, why is this different? Why? And, you know, in my case, it's very simple. My head starts going in all kinds of funny directions once, you know, uh, once I've been over threshold for, I don't know, 10 minutes, um, you <laughs> know, sure. th things start going wonky and 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 and, <laughs> and and I know and I've learned that, you know, I'm better off staying a little below my target. Uh, to avoid wonkiness of the head position uh, at the end. So th th I think there's already a value in, in, in um, using one of these devices in racing, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not completely there. But I, I, I agree with you, Andrew, that, you know, it'll be really good to, to, you know, to try things on the fly. I'm going to beat my favorite horse here and, and talk about how a lot of the things that, that Mark just uh, mentioned uh, really tie into the, the question that I always ask uh, our guests or ourselves when we talk about the technology is, you know, is this useful to you, the athlete? So the, the things that he mentioned, um, repeatability and precision kind of, you know, along the similar vein, ease of use, um, are two very substantial components of that. Is it useful? Because if it's, you know, if one of those things isn't there, as he mentioned, it's not a useful, it's not a useful tool or it's, it's their limitations that the user must be, must be keenly aware of in order to get something out of the tool. So it's important to, you know, uh, to understand what we can reliably, um, count on this device to do and we can use it for that and maybe we can't use it for some of the things that maybe the devices you know uh, manufacturers or marketing departments claim that it can be used for so it might still be useful it's just in a slightly different context as as per mark's uh, example for his time trial racing yeah and, and it's interesting because when when it first came out my my view uh, which not everybody agreed with, was I, th I figured that as this became easier and easier to use, the audience would change. So at first, as long as you had precision, you know, if you put it in the hands of an aero coach, he would be able to make sense of the information. Hmm. Okay. And, and, and gradually things would get easier and easier to use and, and you wouldn't need necessarily an aero coach anymore. You know, the guy could just press a button, et cetera. Um, that doesn't mean that while it's maturing in terms of, of, of ease of use, that there isn't, uh, you know, a certain type of person, uh, either very technical or an aero coach or an aero tester that, that couldn't use the technology. So, you know, I, I, I've heard about Aerolab Aerotech, the, the Canadian company, that they're targeting mm -hmm. it to coaches and, and technical people at first. Uh, if I had to guess, and this is a speculation, it's, you know, they're, tr they're probably 
trying to mature the ease of use of the product, but continuing to use it in the meantime. Yeah, and I think that's a very safe assumption because aero testing is a lot more than analyzing a heart rate monitor trace. Uh, yeah. It's it's something that not everyone has the background and experience to do. Once once you get used to it, once you build the skills, it's not too bad. But that initial learning curve is extremely steep and there's a lot of room for error. There's a lot of mistakes that you can make. And then if that's being used to change your position or to, to modify how you're racing, yeah. then you can make big mistakes quickly with that. It's more like EKG uh, analysis. <laughs> and and, and, yeah. and we know that Apple has actually uh, made that mainstream with an app. So, uh, so maybe we'll get there in the aero world. <laughs> right. So um, you, you talked a little bit about using Alphamantis and and starting Notio. Uh, so do you want to jump back in maybe to the the time just before now or the or the current state of the tech, and uh, and speak to uh, what it is that uh, you know where we are and what we can re- reliably expect from these devices. I know you mentioned your one case study of uh, using it uh, in a race, but what about testing? Okay. So so m- maybe. Just before that, so that we can we can understand some of the concepts that are, or some of the the challenges that are going to come up. Maybe mm-hmm. just do okay. a quick review of. Um, there was a paper. I think it came out around 2008, 2009, from uh, Jim Martin and Kogan, and I think John Cobb contributed on it. And it's kind of like okay. the the Bible of of of. Um, you know, aerodynamic for cycling modeling. And, and it, it was basically, they came out, you know, it's, it's a 20-page it's a document, but it, it's basically a sim- simple equation. And, and it, it, takes, it takes the power that you're producing with your power meter, mm-hmm. and it kind of explains how that power is going dist- to get distributed in what I call four buckets, okay? Yep. So, you know, the first bucket is your rolling resistance, the second bucket is your aerodynamic drag. Your third bucket is altitude change, and the fourth bucket is acceleration. Okay, and and there's 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 smaller buckets, but th- those are the fa- four main ones. So I think you know people, I think people understand watts you know uh, quite well. So I think you know pe- people can imagine that if they're on a, a very flat course, therefore no elevation change, and, and they're 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 going at a constant speed, therefore no acceleration. For example, if they're putting out 200 watts, you know about 35 of those watts are going to go to the first bucket, rolling resistance, mm-hmm. and 165 of those watts are going to go to overcoming aerodynamic drag. So everybody knows that aerodynamic drag is the big one, but you know it's 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 35 watts versus 165 watts. Yep. Okay, and that that's that's for let's say a half Ironman cyclist going 36 kilometers an hour. That's uh, 22-ish miles per hour, I think. Let's say you know a 180-pound person, roughly. Mm-hmm. So 30, 35 watts going to rolling resistance, 165 going to um, to uh, air, air and the dynamic drag. Right. What's interesting is if you increase the speed by 10%, so you're, you're now going close to 40 kilometers an hour, 39.6, um, the rolling resistance goes up 10%, mm-hmm. but the aerodynamic drag goes up 33%. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that small change in speed, 10%, requires a 30% 33% change in, in aerodynamic drag. And it gets worse. 
if you want to go up 20%, the aerodynamic drag goes up 73%. So it's there's this massive effect of aerodynamic uh, speed on aerodynamic drag. Yep. And 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 it becomes you know it's pretty easy to 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 figure that out. And people says, well, you know, I'm not necessarily going to go 10 or 20% faster. But then throw wind in it. Wind is 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 the equivalent or, or somewhat similar to to going faster. So if if you're dry, if you're riding at 36 kilometers an hour, and all of a sudden you get a 3.6 kilometer an hour headwind, which is 10%, mm-hmm. well, your watts to overcome aerodynamic drag are 33%. So the, the reason I, I'm I'm not saying this to stress the importance of aerodynamics. Uh, which which is very no, important. No, feel feel free to do that on this podcast. We're we're very open yeah, to I, discussing I, the importance <laughs> of aerodynamics on on endurance innovation. I, I'm I'm more stressing the impact of wind on aero testing. Oh, you know, point. so so as we go through this thing, we're going to see that you know a gust of wind. The other, the other thing is, you know, increasing your speed by ten percent is is easy to measure and look at and see. You know, wind wind is a tough one. Wind is extremely unpredictable. Wind gusts, wind, you know, changes depending on if there's a tree. You know, where I test, I I, I trust test along the Ottawa River, and and the wind is usually coming from the you know the river, and then so there's trees, no trees, trees, no trees. So the wind the wind is just constantly changing, uh, and I, I go in all kinds of directions. I go east, west, north, south con- con- constantly, so they get all the different directions and all the different uh, yaw angles, and and it, it's it's really 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 tough. So the emphasis here is not is is more that you know what how difficult wind is in in trying to figure out uh, this equation and how to distribute the things in the four buckets that we talked about previously. Does that make sense? Totally. Okay. Um, I'd say the second biggest one in that model at first at first when we 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 split the 235 and 165 we set on a flat course mm-hmm. but in, most courses aren't flat um you know and you'll have rolling hills at a minimum um you know so if you start if, if you're on a course with a one percent incline okay of those 200 watts 70 of them are going to go towards overcoming altitude change right and your speed's going to decrease all the way if you if you keep a constant two, uh, 200 watts your speed's going to decrease down to 30 kilometers an hour mm-hmm. so altitude is absolutely huge you know so it, it, it's in the order of you know uh, over a, a 60 second time um, you know a, a one meter mistake in measuring your altitude uh, is is going to result in something like a 16 watt error, and it's going to throw oh, wow. your CDA completely off. Yeah, that I ne- so, that I didn't know. I mean, I, obviously, it's very important, and it has a huge impact on power requirements to maintain speed. But I didn't know it's it's absolutely huge. Yeah, and 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 the reason I'm bringing this one up is we're going to talk about protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 how some vendors force you into a protocol. Uh, most of them that do that are trying to get you to start and finish at the end point at the same point mm-hmm. so that there is actually no altitude change so they can they can assume that altitude is equal to altitude change is equal to zero during that back and forth right so that's you know in in the absence of accurate altitude measurement you can compensate by uh, protocols that make you do an out and back to the same point got it I always thought it was is to uh, kind of counter for the effect of the wind, but to your point, since the wind is so variable, it might not even do that. So an, an out and back will uh, 
it'll completely eliminate the altitude problem mm -hmm. and it will greatly reduce the wind problem. It won't Got eliminate it. it, but it'll greatly reduce it. But the altitude problem, it'll bring it to, to, to zero. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. So that, that was kind of like the, 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 that model of the four, the four bins, you know, so the different things that we're measuring, of course, measuring power, you know, in order to do all this, you got to measure power, you got to measure weight, you got to measure altitude change, mm -hmm. ground speed, airspeed. And what we're trying to figure out from that is rolling resistance and CDA. Okay. So, you know, we can take that formula that we, you know, watts is equal to the four buckets. We can move things around. We can plug in values that we know, and we can measure um, the things that we don't know. And and that's basically how all these different protocols devices work. Okay, they're they're basically taking that equation, measuring things, inputting other things manually, and and they're calculating from that. Sounds great. Yeah, and that's a really great overview, Mark. And thank you for doing that because we've had folks uh, talk about their specific systems and how they work and i think uh you know to not to our credit we've i don't know that andrew you and i have ever talked about this maybe we have but it's been a long time since we covered the you know the four bucket theory no that's that's a really good point um and it's easy to well when you're going up a hill it's very easy to remember but uh it's easy to lose sight in general um just how much of an impact altitude change can have or things like that and i think rolling resistance is kind of the the forgotten stepchild of uh <laughs> of all these calculations because people just assume it's constant and it is proportional but it there there are some factors that lead to it uh but there's also an evolving understanding of how that rolling resistance comes in um and i'm thinking back to our conversation with uh, John Thornham, where he was talking about yeah. vibrations and hysteresis losses and tires, but that's going off on another tangent, but it's, um, yeah, it is a lesser overall contribution. So I think there's less focus on it. And certainly aerodynamics are the one thing that you as a cyclist are entirely in control of. And, and therefore you have the ability to make yourself faster or slower as the case may be. But similar to altitude rolling resistance, if you get a way, way wrong, will mess up your, your CDA values too. I mean, if you're running you know the classic the classic example of uh, of running a gator skins <laughs> versus say like you know a faster tire like a GP five thousand or something, and you're you know if you're if you're assuming you're running GP, you know something with a rolling resistance of a GP five and you're actually running gator skins and you know at a certain speed that's I think at, I can't remember thirty five kilometers an hour forty kilometers an hour the the loss for, the loss of I think this was for a pair for gator skins over and this was over GP fours which are a little bit slower than GP fives was something like twenty watts. That's that's a big difference. That's a huge difference in rolling resistance. So that could that could muck up your aero calculations pretty quick mm -hmm. too. Absolutely, and and we, we can jump to the third to last page of the book. Um, you know, uh, once you've nailed measuring wind, once you've nailed measuring altitude, you've nailed some of these other things. You know, you have something that's measuring vibration, etc. You can absolutely calculate both CDA and CR at the same time. Yeah. You know, because because we talked about how CRR, you know, 10% faster, you need 10% more CRR, but you need 33% more CDA. You do a bunch of tests at different speeds. There's only one way to make that mathematical model fit, and it's to have <laughs> yeah. a very different CRR CDA. So, you know, we've done things. We've we've artificially come to perfect numbers. We had a survey done of our the course we use for testing, so we know perfect altitude. Oh wow! We we met we we, we test on days that we know there's no wind because we can see if there's wind or no wind. When we see that there's no wind, 
and and we can actually come up with with very accurate CDA CRR estimations. Right. But they require very accurate altitude and very accurate um, airspeed uh, measurements. So we can talk about that a little later. We can. And this is the, you know, the garbage in, garbage out yep. uh, conversation that we have on the show pretty much like every episode. And it's the the tricky thing with aero testing is that there's a lot, there are far more inputs, right? There are far more things to to muck up, as we said, you know, as we talked about, and Mark, as you just listed, there's so many, so many potential variables that if you get, you know, if you get them wrong, your those error bars start to grow and then your, your, Absolutely. End, your end result is Did you say aero bars or error bars? Did I say? Uh, I'm just joking. I meant to say error. I'm just joking. <laughs> or was that was that a was that a uh, triathlon? That was pun? a terrible joke. So I apologize for the deviation. <laughs> I may have misspoken, but I did mean error with an R at the end. Yeah, you, you'd be amazed at there's a lot of data that's being recorded by these devices under the cover that you never see. Mm-hmm. But like for example, vibration. You know, I don't I don't know if anybody is actually showing vibration on, on on the outputs of their devices. But you actually take that number and you use it to adjust your rolling resistance. Um, everybody thinks that they take temperature in order to to uh, figure out air density. That's that's not why we're measuring temperature. You know, air temperature is actually a pretty good proxy for for surface temperature, and that has an impact on rolling resistance. Mm. You know, so there, there's mm. all kinds of measurements that are going on under the cover. Um, you know, if, if I had to say there's one one really neat thing about the one really bad thing about aero testing is there's no one signal that does it all, but there's a ton of signals that can correct each other to get to a really good number. You know, barometers can correct accelerometers. Um, you know, uh, temperature gauges can, can, can impact your, your, your rolling resistance. There's all kinds of ways to take one signal, correct another signal, do some type of fusion of all these signals together, and you can actually get more um, accurate numbers. Huh. You know, uh, direction impacts, you know, the ease of calibration of the pitot tube. Anyways, we, 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 we can talk about all that in, uh, in a couple of minutes. So now, Mark, that we have a uh, you know at least a little bit of a of a basic understanding of how the math is done, um, talk us through where the tech is currently. What what can you you know based on what what's commercially available, and you know feel free to name <laughs> name names or not name names. But what can we expect from the the current state of the tech? Maybe just before that, um, I don't I don't know how familiar your 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 users are with. Um, uh, Golden Cheetah and the AeroLab pro- product within Golden Cheetah. So the people that that will that have used Nocio are familiar. So I know, for example, you know, just to name, I'm going to name names. Uh, Pierre Facompre, who uh, who I correspond with on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, he uses both. Uh, he uses Nocio, and he looks. He works for Look, of course. He uses Nocio, and he uses Golden Cheetah, and he uses Golden. I th- I believe he uses just the the Golden Cheetah AeroLab. I don't know what you would call it, a plugin on its own for some of their track testing too. He also uses AeroTune. So he uses a bunch of different different things. So some are for sure some of the more um, you know savvy plugged in folks, the ones that, that do this testing, but I would assume that most do not. Okay. So so after that that paper from Jim Martin and, and friends came out, um, uh, another super smart guy, Robert Chung, came out with this concept called virtual elevation. So what he would hmm. do is he would he would use that same formula but he would try to isolate, he would try to calculate elevation based on power, based on an inputted CDA, an inputted CRR. And then what he would do is he would play with the CDA number and he would try to get the 
actual elevation to match the virtual elevation. And once they match, oh, interesting. you knew you had a, a, um, a, a valid CDA. And, and this was actually built into Golden Cheetah by Andy Francione. Andy is actually the guy that did the implementation within Golden Cheetah. It's probably about 2012. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a great tool for aero testing if all you have is a power meter and, and, and speed sensor. Um, because you're trying to match, um, if, you, if you do a loop over and over and over, yeah. you, you play with this little slider of the CDA until the, the same point on each loop line up. Okay, so, so because we know that the, the, we know if you go around and around and around, you're going to go through the same point multiple times. So, so, yep. you, so you can very quickly figure out what, it, what your CDA is, uh, but it assumes constant or no wind conditions, which is kind of its biggest flaw. But um, mm -hmm. uh, if you get the right conditions, it's incredibly accurate. But what's also really cool about it is if for some reason there's a glitch in there, you know, a car passes you, you hit a pothole, you, you drop your chain, you know, all the things that you can do during, you'll actually see the virtual elevation deviate from the actual elevation. So it's really, really good for diagnosing um, 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 you know, uh, glitches and, 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 and also errors in altitude that your, your, your Garmin is, uh, is measuring. And correct me if I'm not, if I'm wrong, but this was what, uh, at least the, the Nocio AeroLab plugin that I used, you know, two, two years ago, that's, that's what we were, that's, I remember playing with that, uh, with that altitude yep. uh, and, and getting curves to match up to, to get a CDA um, if I wasn't using the kind of the, the iOS app, but I was using the Golden Cheetah plugin, that's, it, sounds, it sounds very familiar to me. So, so what, what Nocio did, um, I know the guy that did it. <laughs> You're talking to him. Um, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, we actually took a lot of the measurements from the Nocio and we fed those into that model. So we took, we took the wind and we fed it into the model. We took air temperature, we took air humidity, we calculated an air density, and, and we fit it into the model. So we made that very good model even better, mm. okay? But um, that, that thing, and like um, Robert invented it, I don't know, probably 2010-ish. Uh, Andy implemented it in Golden Cheetah, probably 2012-ish. And then um, uh, we came along and, and, and we use it. I still use it today as a diagnosis tool. I think it's it's probably the best diagnosis tool that is out there. Mm -hmm. um, so so I think I think that's you know the, that that was a big milestone in the whole um, aero testing um, evolution. So if if we come back to now, you know where are we today? Um, I think you have devices that um, you know they're they're made up of a multitude of sensors. I think I don't. I forget how many sensors uh, were in the Nocio. There was an official number, and the VeloComp, and the you know there, there's there's a couple of players on the market right now. You know there's 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 Nocio, there's VeloComp, there's AeroLab, there's another Canadian company called Ghibli, mm -hmm. um, who I think are are on from the East Coast. There's Alpha Mantis, which was purchased by Garmin. Uh, they haven't released a product. I don't know if they will. They definitely have the technology. There's uh, Swiss Side, which are a bunch of, um, or ex-Formula One guys. 
that are making wheels, but they also have a device. I don't know if they plan to commercialize it or use it uh, for uh, internally. And there's a company, I think they're out of the UK, they're called VeloSense. They're also Formula One guys um, that, are, that are doing something uh, similar. Uh, their product has not yet been released though, however. Body Rocket's another one, yeah. I, I met them, I, I think I met them in 2016 at uh, Interbike and, and they're interesting. I think they're taking another angle. So they're actually measuring, uh, they have sensors that are measuring the, you know, the force that's, that's applied to the seat, if I understand properly, and, and, and on, the, on the pedals and, and on the handlebars. So that they're measuring uh, drag in places that many of these other sensors aren't. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they do have four sensors. I just don't know, you know, they won't tell us what they do, but they do have four sensors. Yeah, you know, my, my only my only concern, that, or one of my concerns there is uh, the cost of it. Uh, I've heard I've heard up cl closer to $2,000, if, if I'm not mistaken, Canadian. Um, and, and, and as soon as you start putting things on seat posts, et cetera, it becomes more, uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure it's, if it's going to be a general, um, you know, a, a, a product targeted to the general public. Um, like, can I put it on my Scott bike? Can I, you know, um, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think there's, you know, is it a replacement for a wind tunnel? Possibly, you know, can the pro tour teams use it possibly. Hmm. So, uh, so there are a lot of players in the market currently, and what what do we what can you know the average user expect from the you know the some of the more well developed and uh, and ready to go folks out there? I guess one of my beefs with the market in general is no one's publishing any data or very little data. You know, I I think uh, someone asked someone from a competitor asked me what would you do, and I'd say I'd publish data if you want to differentiate yourself. Um, you know, to tell people what to expect, tell people, you know, if you don't use this protocol, what kind of numbers are you going to get plus or minus what? Um, I, I think, I think that's, that's a big beef. And I'd say a, a tie into that or a reliance that these meters have is that power meter manufacturers don't always publish data or it's dubious at best. There's no established protocol for, for their own accuracy. And if you're relying on a power meter to get your aero data, then it becomes even more challenging. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and, and, and I've seen that, you know, even, even the single versus dual-sided power meters falls into this, you know, uh, conversation when it comes to aero testing. Um, what, I, what I've seen, the, you know, I, I personally own a, a set of Favero pedals, which are extremely reliable. I own a Power to Max, extremely reliable. I had my Quark stolen, but before that, extremely reliable. Power taps, same things. Actually, there, there's probably one power meter, and it's not your sponsor. Um, I've never had a, <laughs> I've never had a 4i, but I would trust 4i because every product I've ever had from them has been uh, incredible. Um, uh, you know, the, most of the power meters have actually been pretty good for, for, for testing. You know, um, I struggled mm -hmm. a little more with single sided power meters. Um, the, the only, the only thing I would, I would, if I was using a single sided power meter, I would just watch my protocol a little to compensate for uh, fatigue of the rider. 
Yeah, we've talked a little bit about single versus dual and then, you know, kind of my my thinking about it, my current thinking about it is that the only real very strong case for dual-sided power meter is arrow testing. Yeah. Because you do want an accurate number because uh, I've seen, you know, because duals report left-right balance uh, and I've seen in my coaching practice quite a range of values. And interestingly, and we're getting off topic here, so I'll keep this short. I was just looking at my own data recently. When I approach um, threshold, you know, anaerobic threshold or above, my left-right balance is very close. Like left and right are very, within like 0.5%. But if I'm noodling along at, you know, below below the aerobic threshold, so kind of like maybe, you know, below 75% of, of anaerobic threshold, um, my left leg is, you know, 3, 3% stronger usually on average. So it's like at lower intensities. Yeah, it's, it's a, there's a difference. I'm very similar. I, I start off, I'm very right dominant when I'm noodling. I'm just warming up the uh, first 20 minutes, half hour. I'm very right dominant. Then I start doing my intervals and I, I'm 50-50. And at the end of a three-hour mm-hmm. ride, I'm very left dominant, probably because I was right dominant a good chunk of the time. So you um, fatigue those motor units. Yeah, the right. yeah. yeah. So you know, if if you have a single-sided power meter, you know, maybe tweak your protocol slightly. Um, make sure that you're doing things at, at a at a power level where you you think you're more consistent. Uh, if you mm-hmm. if you want to do A/B testing, do A/B, A/C, A/D. You know, so you have the A to always verify if you're if 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 you know you're not fatiguing and things aren't moving, uh, but ideally get get a dual sided power meter, <laughs> for sure. Okay, Mark, you've listed some of the uh, the players in the industry. So, what are in your experience the the most important differences uh, between the brands out there? Um, well, one one huge difference is the ones that are actually released versus the ones, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. the ones in Kickstarter phase. Yeah, there, there's definitely an availability versus um, um, you know I don't want to say vaporware, but uh, uh, limited availability. Um, th- there's there's some soft things such as support, you know. Um, hmm. You know, I, I know one thing that I think Nocio has done of an incredible job on is supporting their customer base. You know, the, the, one of the yeah, cha- plus one for that. Yep. One of the challenges of Aerometers is is you get all the problems of the world at your help desk. You know, your speed sensor doesn't work. Oh, that's an that's a <laughs> that's an aerometer problem. Your power meter is wrong. That's an aerometer problem. You know, because because you 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 get. Um, bad numbers so i think i think they've been they they're really 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 good at that um i know the power pod for example from the guys from velocomp uh, my understanding is they're very strong on the forums you have any questions um you know you uh you 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 get an answer almost immediately so i i hear they're they're pretty good uh on that front i think you know if if you're going to actually this this brings up an, an interesting topic it's um ray dc rainmaker Mm-hmm. He he just published. Um, uh, he put out a post. I don't know about a week ago, and he explained why he hasn't done a head-to-head comparison of the different uh, units. And he says it's because it's extremely difficult to compare them. You know, he if if he goes out with with a Nocio and it says 0.28, and he goes out with a Velocomp and it says 0.25, how can he tell um, which one is better, which one isn't? Right. And, uh, and and it's absolutely valid. You know, my, my my counter to that 
is you, you could almost you should take these things if you want to evaluate them all and 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 you could compare the subsystems you can you can pretty quickly compare who is better better at measuring altitude than the other guy who's better measuring well who even measures wind yaw okay uh that's another thing yeah that's i was going to ask you about that because there's definitely a difference between yeah between manufacturers and, and how much does it matter yeah um um, you know, wind yaw specifically, I, I think, you know, when we talked about diagnosis, you know, you have this ride and you see this blip in the ride. Uh, there's several times where I said, ah, okay, yeah, that was, that was a change in wind direction. I can definitely see an impact uh, on yaw at that point. In terms of getting an absolute number, I don't find it's made a huge difference in the ability to actually diagnose things i i think it's made it's made a considerable difference hmm. and um you can use wind yaw internally to figure other things out so for example uh, one of the ways we measure altitude change is with a barometer okay, okay. Uh, barometers have a tendency to well uh, barometric pressure has a tendency to drift uh, but it also there's also a tendency to have glitches caused by the wind changing direction. When you see those direction changes, you can actually correct for it in the on the barometer, and you can actually correct the altitude accordingly. So that there's, hmm. you know, I talked about very early on. A lot of these sensors are able to give you signals that allow you to correct other sensors. Wind yaw is one that allows you to correct barometric pressure, that allows you to correct altitude. So you know, it, it's <laughs> most people don't worry about things like that yeah and and normal day-to-day -day riding you don't really care right i mean like you, know, you you look at your strava and to see how many how many meters you climbed and you know if you're off by a couple of meters no one cares but if you're if you're doing aero testing then it's it's very very important as you talked about earlier right so you know i think i think one of the big uh changes over time uh 2016 um uh, making a pedo probe uh with yaw was extremely expensive because these these things were machined, uh, so actually the, the the first prototypes were done by this uh, medical uh, supplier that made medical equipment, and and you know it was like six hundred bucks to produce a, a pedo tube. Uh, <laughs> Holy moly! Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It was, but now with three D printing, with super high definition three D printing, you know. I, I print pedo tubes with yaw for you know fifty bucks, so um, hmm. yeah. So so I think you know that's that's been one of the big changes in evolution over the uh, over the years that that's going to dramatically change things. So that you know the precision that you can get out of some of these pedo tubes just by the the evolution of three D printing technology is 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 pretty um, is pretty amazing. Very cool. Yeah. So, so coming back, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna evaluate these things, um, you know, compare the different subsystems. I have I have not met one that's done what I considered an extraordinary job of measuring altitude, and and that's why I still think that today's generation of product is somewhat um, still protocol constrained. So they're gonna for if you want to get really accurate numbers, you're gonna you're gonna probably want to control. Uh, altitude change through through your protocols. So either mm -hmm. back and forth to the same point, or you know back and forth, you know, or, or to and from a point that's that's relatively well defined or that you know. Um, so I, I would say altitude is definitely one of the things that's uh, differentiating uh, uh, the vendors right now. Hmm. Right, and that's a big one, as you noted. Okay, so um, 
clearly this technology is is evolving you know you've we've seen you know no, you, as you said no show started up in 2016 which was 5 years ago and that uh, that's not a very long time in terms of uh, cycling tech you know uh, power meters have been around for much much longer heart rate monitors longer than that so clearly it's a fairly young technology still so then there's a lot going on in uh, in the development and in in the improvement of it um, what do you think we can expect can we get that to that holy grail that Andrew defined for us earlier of, uh, of actually being able to strap this thing on and and get live CDA that is that is truly live and not something that you can you, you need to take a big grain of salt with so everybody's using the term real time right now and uh, I, I don't think we're we're real time and, and you know live real time I think I think that's um, the same thing sure I I do think we will get there and when I say and I say real time I say your CDA for the last 30 seconds was and and the is is an accurate number. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I think we're going to get there, uh, and I think I think we're very close there. And and I think you know there's there's a lot there's a lot of new chips that are coming out. There's 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 some incredible um, uh, accelerometer gyroscope type technology that's coming out. There's there's processors that take these accelerometers gyroscopes and and do fusion on them. Those chips are coming out. Um, there, there's more things to allow us to measure, you know, good direction and vibration, those kinds of things. So we're going to take all these better signals, new, new and better signals, and, and we're going to fuse them all together. And I think we're going to get, you know, far better numbers over a, a very short period of time. Um, how useful it will be while riding? Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Definitely post-ride, it's very useful. Like, like one of the things we have is is we can measure, you know, positional changes, and I, I need I need, you know, if I see a position change, I need to see its impact in in a in a 10, 15 second window. Seeing it its impact over a, over a 15 minute window is is completely useless. Yeah, to it's me. not useful. So I think I think if we want it, if we want to go to the next level. Of, of applications, uh, we're going we're going to require uh, that that real time CDA, and I think we're going to get there. You know, I I, hmm. I know where we are where we are today from an experimental point of view compared to where we were three years ago, and it's it's night and day. And the concept of real time is actually kind of interesting too, because uh, when you look at the instantaneous drag that someone has over different parts of the pedal stroke, it actually there's there's been studies that have been done on static wind tunnel models yep. where they've seen the variation of drag is up to 10 to 15% uh, just through the, the process of pedaling. So even at wind tunnels, uh, quite often they'll average date over 20, 30, 40 seconds yeah. in order to come up with a good number. So it's not like you get a snapshot and that's it. Uh, it is a very dynamic thing. There's a lot of averaging that goes on. So the real question is, what is the minimum uh, interval that we can take in order to get good, accurate numbers that are meaningful to the rider and not too long that it's smearing out the the micro changes that you want to capture, like the small positional changes. So it's it's a big challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, that's an excellent point. Um, and Mark, you mentioned something interesting about positional changes. And I know uh, I have a bit of an inside track because we spoke about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, um, I understand that the, the company that you are currently developing... Uh, developing the gizmo 
as you called it, um, includes some of these uh, some of these sensors that are positional sensors. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how specifically how those positional sensors can uh, can improve the functionality of the aero sensor? Yeah, so we're we're actually pursuing a couple of tracks in parallel. You know, we've tried um, we've tried things, for example, putting uh, accelerometer gyroscopes, call call them IMUs, on the body mm-hmm. and yep. measuring, uh, you know, recording all movements at the same time as you're riding, and then trying to do a correlation of those to the aerodynamics and, and it does two things actually it allows you to to actually somewhat fit you know so we can see you know what is your hip angle what is your uh, uh, open knee angle what um, you know what what is your your pelvic tilt what is your you know your your head position um, you know so we record all that and and we try to do correlations between that and um, and, and and aerodynamics you know, uh, it, it's it's there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Um, so it's one of those until that technology is more mature. You know, maybe we won't try to do it all at once. However, mm-hmm. we we have realized that you know uh, a huge amount is the head. So you know, if we just put if we just put one or two of those in a helmet and we measure what's going on with your head, we can do we can do very good correlations. Um, you know, we, we saw this, we were, we were, I was testing, um, one of the pro tour guys, uh, a Canadian, uh, Hugo Uhl, um, probably, probably the best time trialist in Canada right now. Um, uh, and, and we were filming him and you could actually see his head as he was going around and around, and around the velodrome, you could see his head slowly move up mm-hmm. and, and you could see his drag slowly move up. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, we, we got it. We got to be able to grab this instantaneously we have to be able to measure it because you can't improve it unless you measure it uh, so we have to we have to try to measure it we have to record it in sync with the aerodynamic data and let's see if we can um and, and we can correlate the two and sure enough um you know we've been we've been testing one i made the comment that when i do a tt and i'm over threshold for a while my head goes sideways and yeah. uh and, and and sure enough my drag goes up when my head goes sideways so, um, mm-hmm. so that, that, that's, that's really interesting. That makes a ton of sense because, um, you know, and listeners, those of you who raced time trial triathlon, you can probably appreciate that when you're, uh, you know, in the aero positions position, there are a lot of things that potentially can shift a little bit, but not a ton, right? I mean, your hands are on the extensions over your shifters, your elbows are, or your, you know, you have the bat, the, the part of your forearm near the elbows on the pad holder, you know, you're, you're, you probably, you might be scooching around the saddle a little bit, but probably not a ton. Most, most time trialists, especially are locked into that position, but your head, your head really moves, you know, your head is the one, you know, the one part of your body that has probably the, the greatest degree of freedom of movement in that otherwise fairly static, and obviously your legs are pedaling, but otherwise fairly static position and instrumenting the head makes a ton of sense. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a really, you know, from my own kind of anecdotal experience that, that, that's a really smart path to go down my kind of, um, you know, I don't know if it's cynical, but <laughs> let's call it cynical question is what, what's the difference between taking, uh, uh, using technology like that or taking somebody like Leoma who has, you know, a fairly robust IMU sensor platform, um, and then pairing, you know, marrying it to pick your, pick your aero sensor and doing kind of a similar thing. 
Um, so the first, the first generation that we experimented when we were putting these all over the body, and I talked about pelvic tilt, et cetera, was actually a product very similar to Leomo. So, so the answer would be you could absolutely do this with the Leomo. Okay. Okay. Um, the Leomo, you know, if if they could make a very small sensor that just fits in a helmet, that I don't need a special um, head, um, uh, not head unit helmet, uh, that doesn't need a special head unit uh, that doesn't require strapping things all over the body, da, 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 da. Absolutely, it could be done, mm. it, you know. So the question also is, you know, how do you, how do you synchronize this data with the, with the aero data? Um, you know, ah. it, it's, it's, it's not, it's not rocket science, um, but, you know, you have to do it and you, you, you ultimately want to be one of the first to do it. So. Um, totally. Yeah. And if we, if we circle back to what you said earlier about usability, right, about yeah. making it easy to use, if you're using, you know, if you're if you're trying to marry, to use my own words, uh, two different ecosystems, and then then it's up to you to do your post analysis. There's no way it's probably going to happen ever as you know live or real time, um, and you, you're you're going to have to do some legwork, right? You're going to have to do some 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 curve matching and 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 and, a lo- and synchronizing of signals. Whereas certainly if, if everything lives in its own ecosystem, then, uh, then, you know, then folks like you can do the heavy lifting for folks like me who just want to use it or maybe uh, test other people with it. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you, so, and you have this, this synchronization between ecosystems, as you put it, it and it's not just the data. So for, for example, you know, p- imagine putting, you know, some type of a tilt sensor on a person's helmet. Okay. And you're saying, oh, okay, okay. I'm going to be able to figure out if this guy is tilting his head or if there's any change in head. How are you going to differentiate him changing his head position versus the terrain underneath him, you know, going on <laughs> an incline or not? Okay. So, uh, yes, so if, if, you, if you want to, if you want to detect a 2% helmet um, incline change, uh, you make sure you can you can detect that two percent uh, road gradient change, and 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 you know that's that's one of the reasons coming back to you know inc- you know uh, altitude change inclination change is an extremely critical component, um, not just to figure out an accurate CDA, but if you want to start doing the type of work that we're trying to do, uh, you absolutely need it. That is that's such a good point. Yeah, of course, and then as yeah, we keep coming back to this. To this kind of general principle of aerodynamic testing that, that, you know, A affects B, C, and D and B yeah. affects A, C, and D. And yeah, it sounds, it's like, it's a, it's a spider web. I'd like to see a kind of a, a flow diagram of, of all the inputs and in, um, in, into the system, just because I think it would be a very useful illustrative graphic of why this is so hard to do. Yeah. And, 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 t- you know, till we get there, you know, till we've resolved some of those tough problems, well, we're going to compensate by protocols and Compensated yeah. by interpretation by competent aero testers, um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as I've been, uh, I've been experimenting with uh, the AeroTune platform on my own, and kind of in in anticipation of uh, rolling some of this testing out uh, to to the general public as soon as our our lockdown in Ontario is lifted, hopefully soon. Um, exactly. And uh, <laughs> June, yeah, fingers crossed. Because you're in Ottawa, right? You're you're I'm still you're Ottawa under right the now, same yeah. umbrella. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so as I as I prepare for to do that, I think that's those are those are the questions that I'm you know I'm working through and trying to figure out uh, can we do a good job, a good enough job to make this a useful service for people? And I think 
I think the answer is yes, even with current technology. But to your point, we have to be very careful with uh, with terrain and with with traffic and with wind and with with pro- that's that's all under the protocol umbrella, I suppose. And um, and being able to interpret our results um, in such a way that we can we can uh, you know we'll separate the signal from the noise. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's it's uh, really fun to talk about this kind of stuff because it's uh, it's it, it's sort you know in a in a way it's at the forefront of uh, of cycling tech, which is kind of what the you know uh, the the point of this podcast is all about, and it's it's fun to see it uh, go through its its growth phases, and uh, and really interesting to hear your inputs on kind of where it came from and where it's going, Mark. So I suspect one of the things that could help us take a, a large leap in terms of aero testing technology is is creating a a more open community and that can go that can be as little as you know more standards in terms of how to publish data um, how to you know how, mm-hmm. how to record data how to publish data uh, to how to do tests to 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 more open source, contributions like I think Aerolab and Golden Cheetah is 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 a huge step forward but it's um, you know it's the only thing out there uh, and it could go as far as open source of hardware so um, you know I, I dabble mm-hmm. a lot in the uh, drone and quadcopter uh, technology uh, and it's not because I'm, I'm passionate about drones and quadcopters it's just there's a ton of technology that carries over into the aero world so I follow there Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, and and I look at how much it evolves by open source contributions. It's it's you know I you know you go to Slow Twitch and you you know if you could pick the guys that really know their stuff, if you could pick their brains and and get them to contribute to the open source community, these things would be evolving much 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 quicker than they are. Mm. It wouldn't just be the companies that are, you know, financially motivated to do this, but it would be people, you know, and there's so many, you know, we, we've talked to so many people who are just, who are doing it because it's interesting to them because it's fun. And because it's, you know, they, they, this is their, this is a big part of their hobby. You know, I look at, look at Robert Chung. This guy has contributed so much to, to, to the aero community. It's it's completely for, because he's passionate about this stuff. He doesn't do it for any monetary reason whatsoever. Huh. Yeah. So I, I think we, we'll take a big step forward if if we do more of that or some of that or some type of collaboration. You know, I think uh, standards, for example, I, you know, I, I, I applaud these standards to try to get, um, you know, the aero profiles on, on all the devices, you know, the Garmin's and the Wahoo's and the Hammerhead's. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think I think those are all positive things, but I think we need to see more of them. Uh, I suspect that, you know, w- me personally and uh, and 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 my buddies, uh, I think that's that's probably a direction we're going to go more and more into. Yeah, the open source. You mean? Yeah, um, I, I think I think we'll get much much more traction uh, if we eventually go that way. In the in the meantime, we're going to try to. You know, it's, it's it's tough because, for example, if ever we decided to open source some of the hardware we've done, you know, it, it once you let it out, it's pretty hard to. <laughs> To, to you you can't you can't undo that one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so you gotta be you gotta be pretty sure but that's cool it's it's kind of you know and this touches on another aspect that i you know you don't see all the time in the community but you do see it from time to time and that's the sort of the you know the just the 
doing the work, which we just talked about just for the, the pure joy of doing it. And the, 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 you know, I've, I've used the term, the democratization of this stuff. Um, you know, when we had the guys from Aerotune uh, on the show and they, they have, um, you know, we've talked about them at length, so I, uh, I don't, I'm not going to cover their product again, but uh, they have uh, a service that I think works quite well and it's, it's cheap, right? It's so, it's so affordable, um, both their aero testing and their metabolic testing. And it's, uh, you know, it's definitely has its limitations, but the, but they do it just because, you know, we, we talked to the two guys that are involved and they do it because they, it's primarily because it's fun for them because they want to share their, their passion with the world and, and allow other people to use it. And I think that's, that's the best reason for for doing this kind of stuff. I must say, it's been a great COVID project. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's funny to say. You know, like uh, like I said, I, I, I'm uh, officially retired from my first career. So you know, for the last you know year and a bit, you know, uh, no problem getting my electronic parts, no trouble, you know, getting my soldering parts, no trouble. Uh, you know, in the winter, I, I fly these things on drones when I can't cycle. You know, normally I'd go down to Florida to test them. Uh, in the winter, we fly them on drones to, to do some testing. Oh, cool. Uh, so it, it's actually been, you know, a way to, uh, it's, it's been something interesting to do, you know, otherwise if I was just, you know, confined to my garage and riding on Swift, I would have gone nuts, you know, so... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting to see what will come out of technology-wise out of this out of this uh, uh, protracted pandemic, but um, it's it you know it it gives me it gives me hope that we're going to see some really exciting stuff in the uh, you know as we return to actual racing. We're talking, you know, some of the folks that I'm friends with, they're talking the OCA, that's the, for listeners, that's the Ontario Cycling Association about what our race calendar is going to look like. And it's, it's a moving target and it's no knock on the OCA. It's just because nobody knows what, you know, what, what's going to happen this summer and what the municipalities will, will be, you know, will be able to stomach in terms of uh, mass participation events. But one of the things that we, we have a little bit of a hint at is that time trials may be one of the first race formats that do come back in an official capacity um so that's you know that's good for aero nerds like like you and i mark so last year with all the restrictions the first thing that we we went back to came back to was was the time trialing and the only difference being um we used to have a guy that would would hold us at the start line you know right uh, so they had to eliminate that so it was a standing start uh, and and the registration, of course, changed. Um, you know, the, the you had to register online versus in person. Da 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 da. But uh, we suspect that we're, we're going to be do, doing time trialing um, this summer. I got to come out to Ottawa and do one once once we're allowed to actually like leave our homes. I mean, that, I'm being facetious, but once we're allowed to actually travel, um, yeah, I, I can I can measure your CDA and see how much your head moves if you wish. A hundred percent, and we'll uh, we'll see how we'll see how close I am on the uh, what I think my CDA is based on my own testing that I've done here in in Toronto. Well, it's it's funny because you know one of the reasons that I reached out to you was I recognized your name. I remember I was analyzing um, <laughs> that's right files, and and I remember I remember looking at the map of one of the files I was looking at. I go, oh, this guy's in Toronto, and and and. Um, and so, so I was interested. So I, I just remembered your name, you know, so like I, I've seen Alistair Brownlee's files. I've seen uh, Kinley's files. I've seen, <laughs> oh, uh, no. I've seen, you know, I've tested Agan Bernal. Uh, but, you know, I, I remember all those guys, but I also remember you. So, oh, it's, well, there you go. I have a, it's good to, it's good to have a memorable last name sometimes. 
I think you you were actually one of the first. You were the one of the first in Toronto. So I was using the device quite a bit back then when I was actually doing a bit more riding. And uh, it'll be good to compare. I'm looking forward to comparing the Noceo device against uh, like the Aerotune and uh, seeing how those things stack up. Yeah, it, it'll be good too to see independent reviews from people. Um, you know that they start publishing that. You you, you don't see much. You you see guys on Slow Twitch or or, or Time Trialing UK that used one device. And and they'll say what their problems or, or or successes were, but you see very 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 few people that are using more than one, mm-hmm. and 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 they can actually compare them. Well, Pierre Facompre, who I mentioned earlier in the show, yeah. he's uh, he's a big you know he's a big uh, time, uh, well he's a triathlete, but he's uh, he he loves aero testing and he does he does a lot of it, some of it professionally for luck and on his behalf, and a lot of it just personally for his own kind of edification, and uh, he. Uh, he will freely talk about the kind of the differences that he finds in the different devices and the different. We're gonna have to get him Gizmo technology to get his opinion. You're gonna have to. You're definitely gonna have to get him Gizmo technology. He'd be he'd be pretty keen on it too. I think he would. Uh, he'd give you very unbiased, honest feedback on it, and be happy to do it. I imagine. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's what I, that's my guess. Cool. Well, Mark, thanks again. This has been a really fun chat and uh, always interesting to talk to to people who uh, who are in the know in this tech. Uh, it's been great. First podcast ever. No. <laughs> there you go. I was kind of nervous that. at first there, but uh, yeah. Check that off your bucket list. <laughs> Actually, the, the gizmo is the name that Lionel Sanders was calling these things since 2016. He goes, oh, when are you going to have that gizmo? When are you going to have that gizmo? And the name just stuck. So the, 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 rather than call it a widget, we call it a gizmo.